0: Welcome to Club Core, an interdisciplinary podcast exploring science stories. I'm your host, Dr. Angel Core, an assistant professor of neuroscience at UNC Asheville. Each episode of this podcast is created by undergraduate students enrolled in one of my courses. So join us as we delve into a variety of topics with one simple goal, to get it less wrong.
1: there, I'm Kid,
2: a senior biology major at UNCA. And I'm Taylor, a senior psychology major at UNCA. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the drug ketamine today. We're going to be going over the uses of this drug and many preconceived notions about it as well as its common medicinal uses, the scientific mechanisms underlying its action, and its abuse, and why it's so interesting. For those of you who don't know much about ketamine, I certainly didn't before doing
1: this project, or only know about it as a drug of abuse, we'll go over the history of the drug. Ketamine is actually an older drug than most people believe. It was first synthesized in 1962 by Dr. Calvin Stevens. Professor of chemistry at Wayne State University and a consultant for Pfizer. So, what is Pfizer? It's a large pharmaceutical company that I'm sure everyone has at least heard of. It was designed to be an anesthetic in wartimes, specifically for use in emergency surgery during the Vietnam War. Today, ketamine is viewed very differently from when it was first created. Personally, my first knowledge of ketamine came from the media. Its growing image is of a drug of abuse. In fact, Ketamine abuse has been a major plot point in many TV
2: shows, from South Park to Criminal Minds. With street names such as Special K and Kit Kat, among others, it is clear that many who become addicted to ketamine may be getting in over their heads. Few people outside the medical field even associate ketamine with its original intended uses. Today, ketamine is primarily used as an anesthetic and an analgesic, especially in procedures done on children. So the drug is used to sedate people and prevent pain responses during operations. Right! However, a study published in IEM
1: by WHO this year showed that ketamine usage by itself may cause adverse respiratory, cardiovascular, and psychomimetic events, which are symptoms that resemble psychotic symptoms like hallucinations. However, using ketamine with another drug like propofol is less likely to cause adverse psychomimetic and adverse cardiovascular
2: events. In the same vein as those analgesic purposes, ketamine has also been used recently for pain management. And I feel like that makes sense, given its anesthetic properties. F1000 Research's article by Jonkman in 2017 utilized a meta-analysis of 29 different articles to assess the ability of ketamine to help those with chronic pain. Though there have been some studies that disagree, ketamine has been shown to help many people with acute post-operative pain and a few with acute or cancer pain, though not all patients felt this way. So it is an option, but like any drug, the effects depend on the person as well, right? That's very true. Have there been any other uses of ketamine found recently? Yeah, quite a few actually. I found it very interesting that it might be therapeutic for those with neonatal seizures. That's right. So a study published in Pediatric Neurology by Huntsman this year showed that after use of other drugs and, of course, consent from the parents, low doses of ketamine reduced the amount of seizures a newborn baby was having, and a slightly higher dose actually stopped the seizures altogether. Wow. It's always
1: terrifying to hear about an infant with these problems. Did the seizures come back or persist
2: at any point? Even 17 months after the treatment, the infant had not had any more seizures. There have been other discoveries with the therapeutic uses of the drug as well. Right. It has been shown by Chin just this year that ketamine
1: can be used as an antidepressant. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. A study published in the Journal of Affective Disorders tested the standard dose of ketamine versus the low dose of ketamine in 48 patients using MRI data. The study found that, especially in low doses, ketamine has anti-suicidal and antidepressant
2: effects. And in another study by Lou that was published in the Journal for Nurse Practitioners this year, found similar results. In treating major depressive disorder, a low dose of ketamine, given intravenously, can start having effects in as little as 40 minutes and can last up to two weeks. For those of you who might have experience with other depression medications, some can take days or even weeks for positive effects to begin.
1: Right. Personally, I think this study is very influential. I have experience with major depression myself, and I think one of the hardest things for people of my age and of all ages is taking a pill every day.
2: I know that taking pills daily has definitely been a struggle for me in the past.
1: If you miss more than once, there can be huge effects and symptoms from that loss. That said, I can only imagine the effects that might come from missing an injection of ketamine or
2: from trying to stop
1: taking it abruptly.
2: That's really true, and it makes sense given the schedule of the drug. For those that don't know, drugs are categorized into groups called schedules, which are based on their abuse potential and their medicinal effects. Schedule 5 drugs have a definite accepted medicinal use and may or may not be addictive, while Schedule 1 drugs do not have an accepted medicinal use and are highly addictive. Well, we know ketamine has a myriad of medicinal uses, so what schedule is it categorized as? Ketamine is a Schedule 3 drug, so right in the middle. That means that it has an accepted medicinal use as an anesthetic and possibly as an antidepressant, among other uses but it can also be quite addictive depending on the circumstances. So, do we know how ketamine works in the body? Somewhat. Ketamine is an agonist for NMDA, or N-methyl-D-aspartate receptors, which are ionotropic glutamate receptors. Ionotropic glutamate receptors are ion channels that are activated by glutamate molecules binding to the receptor that opens them. Ketamine molecules bind to a different site on the NMDA receptor called the disosyllipine site, which is near the channel pore of the receptor. It is thought that this binding causes the anesthetic and analgesic effects, as well as dissociative and hallucinogenic effects. However, a more detailed mechanism is not entirely clear.
1: There is a study that looks into these dissociative and hallucinogenic effects. The study, published in the British Journal of Anesthesia by Slicker in 2015, uses EEG data combined with personal accounts to analyze the effects of low doses of ketamine. Fifteen volunteers were given the low dose of ketamine while using an EEG device. Then they were given a questionnaire within the next 48 hours.
2: I really like the use of biological and psychological methods here.
1: According to the questionnaire, volunteers experienced anxiety, audiovisual hallucinations, dissociation, and feelings of unity and insightfulness. The high-density EEG recordings showed a reduction in alpha power in the precuneus, which is involved in working memory, motor planning, and visual signaling, and a reduction in alpha power in the temporal parietal junction, which is involved in synthesizing auditory and visual information. This is understandable, since this molecular cause would cause
2: those feelings. That makes sense. So can ketamine be addictive to the point of causing drug-seeking behavior? It is fairly addictive, as you
1: mentioned in its scheduling. Ketamine dependence can develop fairly quickly. The NMDA receptors that you mentioned become overstimulated and develop a lower affinity for the drug, and so a higher dose is required to have the same effects. This makes it addictive and causes drug-seeking behaviors in the individual.
2: Are there other changes that aren't behavioral?
1: Yes, of course. At this point, the brain moves from a positive reinforcement circuit to a negative reinforcement circuit. So instead of taking the drug to feel the high, one starts taking the drug just to feel normal again. Additionally, ketamine can be taken via many routes of administration, including oral, inhalation, and intravenous. Its ability to be used intravenously only makes it more addictive, since the high will come on much more quickly using this method. So, why might someone get
2: involved with this drug if it is so addictive?
1: Well, it really depends on the person, to be honest. There are many different reasons for seeking out this type of high. Since it isn't analgesic, many people may seek it out for its pain-reducing effects, or others may use it to self-medicate pre-existing conditions, much of the time without even realizing it. Many people who look for this sort of thing have a baseline knowledge of what this drug does, so many times it is just an escape from some pre-existing feelings, situations in their lives, or conditions. For example, there is a case study in neuropsychiatric disorder treatment done by Liu in 2016 that revolves around a 26-year-old man from Taiwan who was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome and OCD when he was 12 years old. It is unclear if his ketamine use began because of these conditions, but he began abusing ketamine regardless at age 22 via inhalation. Over time, he increased the dosage he was taking per week from 5 grams to 15 grams. It was at this time he began having symptoms of euphoria, dissociation, and auditory hallucinations.
2: Wow, okay. So I see that there are effects that begin to increase the drug-seeking behavior, and some, like auditory hallucinations, are undesirable. For sure. However, when this man in particular
1: ceased taking ketamine, he began experiencing worsened OCD symptoms and
2: a major depressive episode. He had to be hospitalized for a time after that. I could see that, since ketamine in small doses can have antidepressant effects, Heavy ketamine users tend to experience adverse effects to their cognitive processes as well. According to a study by Tang published in Addictive Behaviors this year, 114 participants were experiencing adverse effects to their working memory, episodic memory, executive functioning, recognition memory, and procedural learning when they checked into a residential drug rehabilitation center in Hong Kong. However, after 12 weeks of abstinence from the drug, the participant's cognitive function improved greatly in all areas. That's fantastic. So, Kit, do you think you can explain the molecular biology behind this?
1: Well, I can certainly try. According to a study by Xanos in molecular psychiatry in 2018, there are several different biological mechanisms that could be occurring here. Firstly, NMDA receptors could be directly inhibited by ketamine. Ketamine generally blocks excitatory glutamine signals, though it has been shown to increase activity in the prefrontal cortex, which controls cognitive behavior. Secondly, ketamine could be blocking spontaneous NMDA receptors' excitatory postsynaptic currents, or EPSCs. This would occur by desuppressing protein synthesis, which is suppressed itself during depression, and that would lead to the firing of neurons. The third mechanism could be inhibition of firing of lateral habanula neurons. These neurons act as a bridge between the forebrain and the midbrain, and are shown themselves to inhibit the activity of dopamine neurons. Inhibiting these lateral habanula neurons allows the dopaminergic neurons to fire again. Likely, many of these mechanisms, and more, are working in conjunction with each other.
2: Whew! That's all really complicated. I'm really glad you explained that to me, Kit. So... Let's take a minute to talk about the sociological impacts of addiction. In the U.S., rehabilitation has such a negative connotation, as does mental health in general. According to Tang's study in addictive behaviors this year, abuse of ketamine has gained popularity. It is a drug that can be used for such wonderful medicinal purposes, but at the same time it can be largely problematic in larger doses.
1: In fact, many of the medicinal uses advise using lower dosages for better effects.
2: It is really important to understand the mechanisms of this drug, as well as the good and bad things that go along with it. And it is also important to understand addiction and its complexities. There are so many contributing social and biological factors to addiction that we need to start being aware of, such as family life, resource availability, and genetic predisposition to addiction. This may help us understand those that suffer from this and all addictions, and this might really help to decrease the negative stigma associated with rehab and help a lot of people and their loved ones.
1: That is really true. So, Taylor, what do you think? Should ketamine still be considered a Schedule 3 drug?
2: Well, given everything we've talked about, I do. And given its addictive nature and its myriad of medicinal uses, I think that this drug actually is scheduled appropriately. Schedule 3 is reserved for drugs who have accepted medicinal uses, which ketamine does, but it is also clearly too addictive to be considered a lower-level substance. I definitely agree with you on that.
1: Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope this has been an informative and interesting look into ketamine.
2: Bye! Bye! Thanks for listening!
0: (laughs) ClubCore is produced by a multidisciplinary team of students at UNC Asheville, with sound engineering support by undergraduate Kat Sawyer. Jessica Fox, a UNCA graduate, wrote our theme music. Special thanks to the UNCA Video Production and Media Design Lab for their help with this project. And thank you for listening. You can find show notes, including episode credits and links to the research discussed in this episode, at clubcore.com episodes. If you like this episode, please share, subscribe, and review. And if you have a question you'd like us to explore, drop us a line. You can find me, Angel Core, on all the socials at Club Core. We'd love to tell your science stories so we can all get it less wrong. Until next time!